pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that we can talk to you. We can talk to the God who created everything. And Lord, I pray if there's people out here who are still unsure, like maybe Jesus is really God, maybe he's not, I pray that you will um, overwhelm them with your presence, that you will show them your love, that you will remind them of your presence. Lord, we ask that today you'll be glorified, that you will teach us how we can live lives that will make 2020 the best year yet. And God, above all, I pray that the name of Jesus is high and lifted up and glorified here in this place. Through what I say, through what we hear, and Lord, what we take out and live in our world. And I pray all these things like I believe Jesus Christ would. Amen. So in 2020, Darby uh, bought a blueberry bush. This is it here. It's had better days. Oh, or the 2019. Sorry. She did not buy this in 2020. Um, and so we watered it and we cared for it. We loved it. We sang to it. We didn't really sing to it. But we did a lot of good things to um, try to make it grow and healthy. And it never brought us blueberries. And that was a big disappointment because I really like blueberries. But we did everything we could and we were like, this blueberry bush has been a disappointment. But imagine if we went to this blueberry bush and we were like, it never brought us strawberries. I am so disappointed. That'd be stupid, right? You'd be like, Alex, you're not going to get strawberries from a blueberry bush. And I could be like, but I watered it and I fertilized it and I took care of it. And it doesn't matter how much you do to it, it's never going to give you strawberries, right? You planted a blueberry bush. It's going to bring forth blueberries. You can be disappointed if it doesn't bring forth blueberries, but it's not going to bring forth strawberries. Now, that would be silly to try to look for strawberries on a blueberry bush, but you know what would be more silly? This is a pot that Darby didn't plant anything in. And to take this pot and be like, there's no blueberries in there. Where's the blueberries? Where's the strawberries? Like, you're never going to get anything out of this pot. One, there's no dirt. There's no seeds. There's no water. There's nothing in here. You're not going to get anything from this. And I think sometimes in our lives, we do certain things. We put certain things in place. And then we're like, it never produced strawberries. It never produced what I wanted. And I'm like, well, we're actually doing things that would produce something else. And then, sometimes in, in our life, if we're honest, we do nothing. It's just an empty pot. We've done nothing. We've planned for nothing. We've prepared for nothing. And we're like, God didn't give me any blueberries? God didn't give me any strawberries? Where are they? And uh, sometimes we say things like, well, God can do a miracle. Yeah, he can. But at the same time, he wants to know that you actually care enough to put dirt and seeds into the pot. And sometimes we're holding an empty pot and we're like, God didn't give me anything in 2019. Where was it? Like, and uh, God's like, why don't you plant some things so that you can see the things that you want? In Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10, the Apostle Paul seems to say uh, something very similar to this. He says in verse 7, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. You can't trick God. You can't pull a fast one on God. He says, for whatever a person sows, he will reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. The one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. What's he saying here? He says, if you do things that are going to lead to destruction, you're probably going to have a destructive 2020. But he says, if you do things that are spiritual, you're probably going to have some spiritual fruit in 2020. Let us not get tired of doing good, he says, for you'll reap at the proper time if you don't give up. How many times have I started something good and given up on it? You can look at me and tell I started a lot of diets and I've given up on a lot of diets, right? Um, and there's probably a lot of spiritual things you started. Maybe you're like, I'm going to start praying. 
I don't really know how to pray. I'm just going to start talking to God. And then you're like, man, I just want a week and I forgot to pray one time. Or you're like, maybe I'll try to start figuring out this Bible. And you crack open the New Testament and start reading in the book of John. And you're like, man, I read a couple chapters and then I just kind of gave up on it. Or maybe there were other disciplines in your life that you started at and you gave up before you got to see the result. He says in verse 10, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Everybody I know, whether they're atheists, whether they're Christians, whether they're Muslim, Muslim or Hindu, everyone I know, all my friends on social media, they all say the same thing. I want to have a great 2020. I don't know anybody who's like, I hope 2020 is horrible. I hope my whole life just goes, you know, to garbage because I just want a horrible year. Everybody wants a good year, right? But there's a difference between simply hoping for a good year and planning and preparing to have an incredible 2020. And so this morning, what I want to talk about is what are five simple shifts that we can make in our life? These aren't huge things that you're like, man, I don't have a billion dollars. If I did, I'd go do that thing Alex said. No, these are simple things that all of us can do. They're not going to dramatically change our lives all at once, but they're going to be slow changes over time as we faithfully do them and don't give up. Because I don't want you to just hope for a great 2020. I want you to have a great 2020. And so these five simple shifts that we're going to talk about today are set small goals, be grateful, pray, stay simple, and rest. None of those are mind-blowing things, but if we're honest, most of these things as we go through them are not things that I practiced in 2019, probably not things that you practiced well in 2019. And if we want 2020 to be different, then we have to act and live and prepare and plan differently than we did in 20, 2019. I'm going to mess up the years this whole message, so you just prepare for um, I'm still going to write 2019, probably ended 2021. I think a lot of times, I want 2020 to be a better year than 2019 was, but I don't want to do anything differently than I did in 2019. If you keep doing the things you did last year, you're going to keep seeing the results you saw last year. I'd like to see better results this year. I'd like to see more growth in me, more opportunities for me. And so I need to do some things differently. I need to have some simple shifts, and I think you do too. See, life is not something where you're a victim and life just happens to you. Life is something that we plan and prepare for. There's always some things outside of our control, but I think a lot of times there's a lot that was within our control that we excuse and say, well, that happened to me. I had no control over that. I think a lot of the things that happen to us are consequences of decisions we make or indecisions that we make. Sometimes we decide to do something and there's a consequence. Sometimes we decide to do nothing and we just leave the pot empty and we're like, I hope some wildflowers grow. Like maybe they'll just float along in the breeze and the rain will come down and wash some dirt out of the gutter and it'll fall in here and then these wildflower seeds, that could happen, but I want bet on it. Like let's do some things that we can bet on, that we can be assured of. A lot of times we look at 2020 and it's an empty field and we're like, well, I hope God sows it and waters it and reaps a great harvest. We have to put some seed in the ground. So Paul here is reminding that, reminding us that we can't blame God if our 2020 is disappointing. He says here right at the beginning, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. He says you can't blame God for the fact that you didn't plan and prepare for 2020 to be a great year. You just chose to do nothing and have an empty pot. You can't blame God for that when you're like, man, 2020 was such a disappointment. He says, do something. Set it up 
to be a success. We can't mock God when we live unhealthy, emotional, or spiritual lives, and then we can't figure out why at the end of 2020 our lives are a mess. That's not God's fault. That's our fault. So let's jump into shift number one. What's the first subtle, simple shift that we need to make in 2020? Accomplish small things. Set doable goals. Now, the new year is famous for what? People setting these big, audacious, ambitious goals, right? They call New Year's resolutions. And they're like, this year, I'm going to lose 50 pounds. This year, I'm going to quit smoking. This year, I'm going to. And what happens? The first couple weeks of January, the gyms are packed full. You can't find a treadmill. You're like, everybody in this county is here at the gym. And then you ask the faithful people at the gym, what do they say? They say, just wait for January 31. By the time February rolls around, the gym's going to be empty again, and you'll have your pick of the treadmills. Why? Because people set long-term big goals, but they set them with short-term passion. It's a new year. I'm passionate to try something new. I'm passionate to do something different. That passion won't sustain you over a long period of time. But we love setting big goals. Why? Because it looks good on social media. People cheer us when we set big goals. If you say, uh, I don't run at all. I used to run back in college, and now uh, you can look at me until I haven't run anywhere except to the refrigerator repeatedly. And uh, let's be honest, it wasn't run. It's just a fast <laughs> But if I said, guys, I'm going to run a marathon in 2020, you guys would be like, yeah, go out. I put it up on social media, you know, I run in a marathon. People would click like. They're like, you go for it, Alex. Good job. The likelihood of me putting in the training and the effort for months and months and months to get to a marathon isn't likely. Maybe I should start with something smaller. Maybe I should start with something doable because I'll actually accomplish it. In Zechariah 4.10, it says, do not despise small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see a work started. See, it's easy to start to talk about doing something. Jesus is like, uh, I like to actually see something happen. Anybody can say, I'm going to run a marathon. But he's like, I want to see you actually start it and actually finish it. We're impressed by people having big, audacious goals. But setting a big, audacious goal is not as great as finishing a doable goal. Actually getting something done is better than saying, I'm going to do something huge and never doing it or starting and quitting. It's better to say, I'm going to do something manageable and actually following through and doing it. In fact, that's what Paul says when he says, let us not get tired of doing good. He says, you'll reap if you put in the time long enough and you don't give up. Think about this for me. Let's say you decided, I'm going to start eating healthy. One day a month, I am going to eat a kale smoothie for breakfast. I'm going to have a kale salad for lunch. And uh, at dinner time, I'm going to eat some tofu and some kale. And uh, it's going to be my healthy eating. But then the rest of the month, you ate poorly. You ate garbage. Would that be as good as eating medium consistency healthy lunches for a whole month? No, it's better to consistently eat over the whole month than it is to eat this dramatically healthy meal one time a month. But a lot of times we set goals like this. Rather than setting easy, doable goals that we're gonna do repeatedly over a long period of time, we set a big, huge goal that we're gonna do one time and we usually end up failing. It is the consistent, small acts that you do on an everyday basis that changes your life. It is the small things that you faithfully do over a long period of time that change the world. We all think, like, if I did something really big, that would change everything. 
most of the time it's the faithful things that you do small, the full, small faithful things that you do over time that change your life and change your 2020. We set sometimes New Year's resolutions that are these big goals and we're like, if I did this big thing, 2020 would change. 2020 is going to change when you do a small, simple shift over and over and over again all year long. John Acuff wrote a book called Finish, and uh, a great book if you have a hard time accomplishing your goals, I highly suggest it. Here's what he says. Whatever your goal is, cut it in half. Choose what you're going to bomb. He says, when you set a goal, just say, I know I'm not going to do this part. I'm going to give that part up. Make it fun if you want to get it done. I think that's good advice. See, most of the time we're like, I'm going to do this because I'm going to lose 50 pounds. And then you lose 15 pounds and you're like, man, I'm not going to make it. And you give up, right? What if you started and said, I'm going to lose 10 pounds? Well, then when you accomplish that goal, you're like, I finished my goal. Now I think I'll lose another 10. And it's like you have this adrenaline rush. You have this dopamine release because your brain is like, you accomplished something. Most of the time when I sit down with a list of goals, I'm like, what's the hardest, biggest thing I'm going to do that first? Well, then I get into that and I realize, man, this is going to take a long time. And then I'm like, start dragging. I start running out of energy. And then I look at the smaller things after and I'm like, man, I don't even have the emotional strength to go and do these things now. What John Acuff suggests in his book is start with the small things. And every time you finish something, your brain throws a celebration. And you're like, oh, I can do another thing. And I can do another thing. And so now when I have a big task I don't want to do, I do my small task first and I'm like, oh, I'm wiping stuff out. I'm getting stuff off my checklist. And then I'm like, the only thing I have left is this big thing. And now I have all this energy and adrenaline to accomplish my last goal. If you want to change 2020, if you want to make it a great year, set small, doable goals. And when you get those done, set new goals. You'll do more than you ever did in 2019 because every time you finish something, you're motivated to finish something Set small, accomplishable goals in 2020, and you'll find that you accomplished a lot more than you did if you just quit a bunch of big projects that started off flashy, but you didn't finish. So shift number one, set small goals. Shift number two, gratitude. Psychology agrees with the Bible on this. Psychology says that the happiest people are not the people who have the best things happening to them. In fact, some of them are quite miserable and unhappy. Unhappiness is not because a bunch of bad stuff is happening to you. Rather, psychology found that people who are the most thankful and grateful, regardless of what is happening to them, tend to be the happiest people. Your best life is your same life with a different you in it, a you with a different perspective. And the Bible seems to agree with this. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Apostle Paul again says, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for those who belong to Jesus. Why? Because he needs all that thanks and gratitude? No, because he recognizes that being thankful and being grateful is best for us. What is God's will? He says, be thankful and it's going to change how you feel. Notice though that this verse doesn't say you have to be thankful for everything. It says you have to be thankful in everything. You get a diagnosis and you have a serious disease. You don't have to be like, God, thank you so much for cursing me with this disease. That'd be crazy, right? That's not what he's saying. But what you can say is, man, I've had 30 years of health up to this point. Thank you so much for all the health I've had. Thank you that there's medicine to identify this. Thank you that there's a treatment plan that I can take. Thank you that I have friends and family who are coming alongside me and that I don't have to go through this alone. See, no matter what we're facing, there's something to be thankful for in it. Our tendency is to see the few things that are really wrong in our life and ignore the many things that are really right in our life. 
I do this all the time. I'm like, this is one issue I'm dealing with right now. And I'm like, man, I'm stressed about this. Our health insurance went up by like $400 this year. I'm like, that's a big jump. Um, and so I'm like calling people and I'm trying to figure it out. And I'm like, how am I going to do this? Where, what are we going to do? And um, there's so much else going right in my life. I just got a new car. That's amazing. You know, there's a lot of other great things going on. But all I can do is fixate on this one thing. It's a, it's a bad week. It's a bad week. Why? Because I have one thing going on. When you choose to be thankful and grateful, you begin to shift your perspective from the one thing that's wrong to everything that's right. And when we train our minds to do this, to look at everything that's going right, it's going to change our emotions about how we feel. Every time you choose to celebrate, you're choosing happiness. Every time you choose to complain, you're choosing to be unhappy. Have you ever been around somebody who's just constantly celebrating things that are happening, even small things? They're just like, it's a beautiful day. Oh, this is so great. I got to see my friend. Those are happy people and they make you feel happy. The people who are complaining all the time, man, doesn't that just bring you down? You ever been around somebody and it's like, no matter what's happening, I have a dear friend in Tennessee, and no matter what's happening, he's like, I can find the bad side of this. I can always find the bad side. I'm like, that's not a skill. Like, you shouldn't have that skill. The unhappy people are always able to find something to be upset about. So think about this, when you choose to complain about something, and on social media, we live in the age of complaining. Like, how can I find something to attack or complain about or be unhappy about? Every time you choose to vocalize a complaint, you're choosing to be unhappy. Create solutions, celebrate things that are going well, and choose to be thankful. And uh, here's what I suggest as your subtle, simple shift for 2020. At the end of every day, 2020, jot down something you're thankful for. Maybe some days you'll have a lot of things. Maybe someday you're struggling to find one thing, but write it down. I've been doing this since January 1, so you can go back and think back, or you can just start today. I keep it on my phone, just in notes, because I always have my phone, and I'm just writing down something each day. Each day, something that I'm grateful for. And what I find is it begins to shift how I feel when I intentionally am thankful and grateful. We tend to subconsciously remember what we fixate on. Have you ever just been like, I have this low grade anxiety, but I don't even know what I'm worried about. I have that sometimes. I'm like, I'm worried about something. I probably forgot what it was, but there's something to be worried about. If we've been fixating on how generous Jesus has been, if we've been fixating on how grateful we are for all that he's done, you'll have a low grade happiness. But if you've been fixating on everything that's wrong or everything that isn't right or been fixating on your complaints, you're going to have this low-grade anxiety. And the only way I know to fixate on what I'm grateful for is to sit down and consciously say, here's what God has done in my life. Here's what is going well. Here's what is right. Here's what I am so thankful for. Because on my best day, I have a great wife named Darby. On my best day, or on my worst day, I have a great wife named Darby. I have her on my best day, too. And then on my worst days, I have a great church of cool people who I love hanging out with. There's a lot that I can be thankful for. And if you fixate on how difficult or disappointing something is, you will be unhappy. But if, if you exercise gratitude, it's going to shift your attitude by changing your perspective on what is happening to you. Here's what happens when we're grateful. We begin to think that we're in a good story that has a bad chapter. But when we complain, we begin to think we're in a bad story that we hope might have a good chapter. Third shift, prayer. Whether or not you believe in God, whether or not you believe that there is this 
cosmic being who wants to have a relationship with you and wants to show you his love. We live in a fast-paced world that takes few moments to pause and reflect. One of the things I've started working part-time at the Art Center over in Haverford, and um, one thing that I've been impressed by is how many artists say, art is a way for me to slow down because the world is moving too fast. Now, many times they have no belief in God, these artists that I'm talking to, but what they're expressing is something very spiritual. They're saying, there's something inside of me that longs for a moment to stop and pause and reflect. Our souls are overstimulated and they're stretched thin. We're constantly bombarded by entertainment and distractions. I went and uh, filled up gas at a um, gas station and uh, I put the nozzle in, I start filling up, and all of a sudden this gas machine starts squawking at me and it has a little video screen and it's shooting news stories at me and Twitter announcements and I'm like, I can't even have a quiet moment pumping gas. Like, there's always something speaking to us, always something shouting at us, always something interjecting into our mind. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul says to pray without ceasing. He says to be constantly in this state of meditation, to be thinking and connecting with God. And you say, Alec, how in the world am I supposed to do that? Because I work a job. Like, I go and have to interact with people. I have to send emails. I have to write reports. I can't just sit on my knees and pray all day. I don't think that's what Paul was talking about. But I think we need to make a healthy practice of reconnecting with God throughout our day. Because sometimes I can get busy doing something, and four hours have passed, and I'm like, I, I didn't even know time passed. Sometimes Darby will come in, maybe I'm playing a video game, and Darby's like, uh, you've been playing this for three hours. I'm like, it's been 10 years. It's been 10 minutes. She's like, it's three hours. And she like holds up a scorecard, you know, she's like, you started at this time, you're ending at this time, which is right now. And I'm like, oh, I thought this was 10 minutes. I'm so sorry, you know? Like, sometimes time gets away from us. This happens at work. This happens uh, sometimes when we're watching something or when we're playing a game. 30 seconds each hour, if we take it and reconnect with God, it's going to help us stay engaged better in what we're doing it's going to help us recognize the passage of time. Have you ever had a day where at the end of the day you're like, I did nothing. I don't even know what happened. It's like I blinked and the day's over. Faithfully taking time every hour to reconnect with God will not only be good for our soul, it'll be good for our schedules. And uh, there's some different ways that you can do this. I used to have a watch. Nobody really wears watches anymore unless it's an iWatch. But I used to have a watch that chimed every hour. And it was just every time it chimed, I was like, another hour has passed. I'm going to take 30 seconds in my head to just reconnect with God. Be like, God, another hour has passed, and I need you just like I needed you the last hour. I need you this next hour. God, right now I'm really struggling. What I'm facing is very hard. Will you show me your love in this next hour? God, I didn't accomplish anything yet today. I really need to accomplish a lot in this next hour. And just for a moment, I stop and pause, and I recognize time is passing, and I need God constantly in my life. You can set your phone to go off every hour. You can get a wristwatch that chimes every hour. You can find some other way to remind yourself to stop and reflect, pray, and reconnect with God every hour. I was listening to a podcast with an entrepreneur. He had started several companies that had become million-dollar companies. And they were asking him, they said, what is the key component that we, some investors were asking him, what is the key component that we should look for in entrepreneurs so that we can find other leaders like you who are starting ventures? And he says, the most important thing I do is this. 
every hour, I stop and I say, is what I'm doing urgent or is it important? See, most of us spend our life doing the urgent, the things that are shouting, the things that are saying, gotta do me right now, this gotta get done, this gotta be done, but it's not really important. I think it was Woodrow Wilson who said, the urgent is rarely the important, and the important is rarely the urgent. And so the things that are urgent are most often gonna take you away from the things that are most important. And stopping every hour to reflect and reconnect with God is also a way to evaluate, have I been spending my time well or have I been wasting it? The best you in 2020 is a more mindful you that is more connected to God because you consciously stop. It doesn't have to be for a long period of time. You consciously stop every hour that you're awake and say, just for a moment, I'm going to reconnect with God. I'm going to remember that I'm a created being who needs a creator and needs to feel and sense his love and live and act out his love. What's most important in my life right now? What's not most important? Brother Lawrence was a monk in the 1600s who joined a monastery. And he was like, I'm going to join this religious institution and I'm going to grow close to God. And so he came into the institution, and he was so excited, he's like, I'm probably going to learn Bible, I'm going to learn how to pray, I'm going to do these religious activities. And they said, hey, we need you to wash dishes. And he's like, okay, I'll do that today, but then I'm going to get into these other tests. They're like, no, 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 as long as you're here in the monastery, you're going to be the dishwasher. And he was like, what a waste. Like, I came to this monastery to learn how to know God, and you're giving me this stupid job of washing dishes. And so he ended up writing a book, I have it on my bookshelf, it's called Practicing the Presence of God. And he talks about how God wants us to, wants to join us in our everyday tasks and enjoy a constant dialogue with us as we live and work and play. See, being at work doesn't mean that you stop praying without ceasing. Praying without ceasing doesn't mean that you stay on your knees and you never leave your house. It means staying connected with God all day long. It means wanting to stay connected to God's presence and his love all day long. Here's some of the prayers that I pray when my alarm goes off every hour. Jesus, show me your love this next hour. Jesus, let me sense your presence this next hour. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in my life. Please give me the strength to do what I need to in this next hour. Jesus, teach me to live and love like you. You can pray different things. You can pray things similar to that. But it's just taking a moment in your mind. Sometimes it's in the midst of something else that I'm doing at work or something else I'm doing in the community. And I just, in my mind, see. Jesus, I just need to be reminded that you're with me and that you're for me. Fourth shift, simplicity. Our lives are complicated. That's an understatement, right? Everybody has complicated lives in the modern world. Nobody has simple lives. Our houses are filled with clothes we don't wear and things we don't use. Our schedules are crowded with meetings and commitments. Have you seen that ABC show, Bless This Mess? Where this couple from New York City, they go out into the... Um, the Midwest and they move to a farm because life is too hectic in the city. I think there's something inside of us that longs for a simpler time. Like sometimes I talk to Darth and I'm like, buy a stretch of land in Montana, build a cabin up on a mountain, and I'll have my books in one room and you can have your cooking stuff in the other, and we'll live a simple life out of Montana. You know, we want a simpler schedule, a simpler way of life. Um, we watch shows about like tiny house, have you seen this, where people sell their house and they get a tiny house that they live in, or shows about cleaning up clutter. And one thing constantly comes up in these shows, having lots of stuff and having lots of stuff on your schedule gives people low-grade anxiety. I think we're overscheduled and we've tried to fill the emotional holes in our spiritual lives with stuff. 
I've done this. Like I notice when I start feeling emotionally upset or depressed or despondent, I either buy something or I eat something. That's an unhealthy attempt to fill a spiritual hole with something physical. In Matthew 6:19, Jesus was teaching and he says, don't store up for yourself treasure on earth. He says, moths and vermin can destroy it. Thieves can break in and steal it. He goes on and says, you should store up for yourself spiritual treasure. Buying something is never going to make you content. Contentment is a spiritual response to what you already have, not what you don't have yet. We always think, if I had that, if I had what that person had, if I had this thing that I'm working towards, then I'll be content. Contentment is finding satisfaction in what you already have so things can be added without changing who you are or how you do. The more you simplify what you have and what you do, the more you're going to enjoy 2020. The more you overcomplicate what you have and the more you overcomplicate what you do, the more 2020 is going to seem like a whirlwind mess. And so this is the shift that I suggest for you each week say no to something. Most of the time, if you're like me, I find a way to say yes to everything. And I was listening to this, um, this podcast, and I thought this guy put it so well. He says, if you're desperately insecure, you'll say yes to everything because you're afraid of missing an opportunity or you're afraid of missing out on something that's exciting. He says, but if you're secure in yourself, you're willing to say no and do the things that matter most. When I'm insecure, I try to say yes to everything because I'm like, that might be the opportunity that leads to this opportunity, or, or if I don't go to that, maybe somebody will be upset, or if I don't go to this, I might miss out on something I really enjoy and then I'll feel bad, they'll post pictures and it'll look like it was really fun and I wasn't there. We say yes to everything on our schedule because of FOMO, the fear of missing out. And some of us, like me, are so insecure, we're afraid that if we say no to this, we'll never have another chance to do something ever like that. For a while, every time someone says, hey, do you want to come speak at my church? I'm like, yes. I'll say yes to anything. You know, like, do you want to serve in the community in this way? I'm like, yes. We say yes to everything. And then I started realizing, you need to say no to most things so you can say yes to the best things. See, when I say yes to everything, what I'm doing is saying no to time with Darby. Darby's the best thing. I need to be saying yes to her, and that means saying no to some things that are good in my life, but are not the best things. Giving things away and saying no on your schedule is going to make your 2020 better. Giving away things that you don't need allows you to actually enjoy what you have. When Jesus was killed, the guards were fighting over his traveling road that he had because it was so well made. Jesus didn't have a lot of stuff, but the things he had were nice things. It's okay to have nice things, but our tendency is to fill the emptiness that we feel inside ourselves with a bunch of stuff around us. And it'll never fill what's inside of us. I have a basement full of stuff. Our landlord came into the basement. He's like, is all this stuff yours? I'm like, yep. I'm like, a lot of it is church stuff that I store here. And he looked around and he's like, you have a lot of stuff. And, and we do. And I think of that a lot of times, what we feel is this low-grade anxiety because we've surrounded ourselves with stuff. We look at our schedules and we're constantly running a bunch of different directions. Busyness makes us feel important. When somebody says to me, Alex, I know you're busy. I'm so important. That's why I'm busy, you know? Busyness is a lie that makes us feel important because we're insecure about our value. Stuff makes us feel full because we feel empty inside, but neither actually do what we want. Busy, busyness makes you miss out on the best. 
Stuff clutters you from enjoying what you have. Choose to simplify what you have. Choose to simplify your schedule. 2020 will be better. Finally, the last shift, rest. You want to accomplish more than you ever have in 2020? Be more intentional about rest in 2020. Now that seems counterintuitive, right? You're like, if I want to do more in 2020, I should be busier, I should work harder, I should strive more. But instead, the Bible suggests something very different. The Old Testament commanded this law for the Jewish people called the Sabbath day. And the New Testament encourages the principle of Sabbath. Choosing a day in the week not to do any work and instead to reflect, to rest, and to enjoy. Our bodies are designed to work and then rest and then work and then rest. But if we're honest, a lot of us are just constantly working. We're constantly doing. We never take a moment to sit down and enjoy. Our souls need rest just like our bodies, right? If you go too long without sleep, on New Year's this year, I stayed up to 3 a.m. playing board games. And um, I used to be able to do that and bounce back the next day. I slept in until like 11 or noon the next day. And I was like, I didn't drink any alcohol, but I feel like I have a hangover. Like I felt horrible. Like uh, it was awful. Our bodies need rest, but our souls need rest. And we rest our souls by stopping to enjoy and reflect. Sleep gets us out of the way, Eugene Peterson says, to remind us that we're not God. To remind us that the world keeps spinning when we're not awake. Have you ever seen this when there's a kid and they're hanging out with adults and they're like trying to stay awake because they don't want to miss anything. They're like, I've got to stay awake and stay apart. And sleep reminds us, you know what? I don't have to be awake and aware to make things keep happening. God keeps working even when I'm not here. Um, so in the Old Testament, Sabbath was from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. That's when they worshipped at the synagogue. That's when they ate and had celebrations. That's when they stopped to enjoy what God had given them. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus said, come to, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I want to give you rest. And many times when we do take time to rest, we rest in really unhealthy ways. You ever do this? Like, I'm like, oh, I have a day off. Let's eat a half gallon of ice cream and watch Netflix all day. You know, like, I'm resting. Um, that's unhealthy rest. I play hours of video games or eat junk food or we binge watch the show. Um, healthy rest will give you more energy afterwards. That next day you'll be like, I feel like I could do more than I could the day before. Unhealthy rest leaves you more tired after So what does healthy Sabbath rest look like? Have a day each week where you take a nap, where you get outside for a walk, where you eat clean, delicious food, food that doesn't make you feel terrible, but actually gives you strength. Drink lots of water, read, paint, create something with your hands. You say, Alex, I'm a horrible artist. It's not about whether or not you can display it on social media and get likes. It's about whether or not you've done something to rest your soul. Our God is a creator, and it says that he created us in his image. There's parts of him that are in us. There's parts of us that reflect him. And I think part of that is creating things. There's something about making something with your hands. Whether it looks good or it doesn't, taking the time to make something does something for your soul. On a Sabbath day, take time with friends and family that fill you with joy. There's some family members that spending time with them is not restful. Don't spend time with them on those days. Spend time with people that are actually going to fill you with joy. Take a moment to rest and reflect. I think a great thing to do is look back over your gratitude for the week and say, God, thank you for all these things you've done. 
I get to enjoy all these things that I have because of you. I believe that God can do more in one day than we can in seven. See, Sabbath rest, taking a day to rest and not work is an act of faith. And I think it will do wonders for your soul. It's going to do wonders for how you feel about 2020. And I think it's going to empower you to do more in 2020 than you ever could if you just worked constantly and you never took a moment to rest or stop. Perhaps the reason you didn't see more in 2019 was not because you didn't work harder. It's because you didn't rest more. You didn't trust more. You never stopped and said, God, I think you can do more. I've done my part. I filled this up with dirt and I put seeds in. Now I need you to do the part that I can't. If you just keep putting more dirt in and more seeds, more dirt and more seeds, you're not going to get blueberries. You're just going to kill what you started. So what's the 2020 challenge? If we want to have a better 2020, this is what I suggest. Hourly, I'm going to stop, reflect, and reconnect with God. I'm going to say what's urgent, what's important. I'm going to do what's important. Daily, I'm going to keep a running list of things that I'm grateful for. Daily, I'm going to try to accomplish my smaller, easier goals first. If I have a big goal, I'm going to say, how can I cut that in half? What part am I not going to bother with, and how can I make this fun? Weekly, I'm going to say no to something. Weekly, I'm going to give something away. And weekly, I'm going to take a day not to work, to rest, and enjoy everything that Jesus has given me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for a new year. But God, if we try to live this year without you, it's going to be a mess. Just like if we try to live our lives without you, they're a mess. We need you to save us and guide us and teach us to live and love like you did. Lord, I pray for the people sitting here, the people listening online, that you will give them the greatest 2020 ever. But God, you're not mocked. You're not going to give us something that we are not leaning in towards, that we don't really want, that we're not willing to work for. So, God, I pray that you will help us to make these simple spiritual shifts. Whether or not we believe in God, these things are healthy for all of us. And I think if we do these things, not only will we see you working, our 2020 will be the best year. I pray all these things like I believe Jesus Christ will.